All right, will you pray with me? Father, we need desperately for you to bring life in places where there is no life, life where life can't grow any other way. Lord, we need that, but we know that you are also a God who delights in doing that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. If you've ever looked at a train map, let's say maybe like a train map of the UK, you'll see stations there like King's Cross or St. Pancras or Clapham Junction that on the map just kind of look like hairballs, just a giant mess because of all the intersecting lines that go through them. This passage in Luke where the angel Gabriel announces the birth of Christ to Mary is one of those. It's got Old Testament themes, it's got theological themes, it's got spiritual themes that are all just running through it. It was really hard to figure out what was interesting but didn't need to be said and what needed to be said. I mean, what I wanted to do was to just put them all on one plate like a stack of uncooked vegetables, nutritious but not very hospitable, right? Um, But we are going to trace a few of these out. Um, Because there are three things that I do really want us to to see. I want us to see that there's a remarkable context to this story, a really remarkable backdrop. There's a remarkable message from Gabriel. There's also a remarkable response from Mary. I want us to see those three things. So we'll start with the context. This is a setting that we actually talk about a lot. Israel, because of their idolatry and their disobedience, but really specifically because of the disobedience of their kings, had gone into exile. Depending on what part of the exile you want to talk about, this is like six or 700 years before this story. Now, lots of Israelites had been able to return. We had some partial fulfillments of God's promises coming true there. But the exile wasn't completely undone. There are still Israelites that are scattered all over the Near East and the Mediterranean. And Israel doesn't rule its land. It's been controlled by the Babylonians, by Medes and Persians, by the Greeks, and now here by the Romans. And there was no descendant of David, no true king from David's line ruling over Israel. There are promises for a king. We just read one from 2 Samuel 7. But there's no true king. It's a kind of sad picture. And I think that Luke is actually even painting a sadder picture picture than that. We can't trace all the different threads that he uses to tie this together, but there are allusions to the book of Judges that are woven all through Luke 1. Judges is the time before the monarchy even begins. So these allusions to to Gideon or to Samson or to Samuel that are really quietly threaded through this chapter are taking us back to a time even before the monarchy. And there's this refrain in the book of Judges that gets said over and over, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That was a time of chaos and turbulence because there was no king. The picture that I think Luke is painting for us is that this kingly house of David, the one that God had promised was going to last forever, has been cut down like a tree, all the way down to the ground. And now it's like there was never even a king at all. So in that context, we've got the angel Gabriel coming to a, a, it says city, called Nazareth. City is a weird word. It's a really small town. It's on the outskirts. It's not a metropolis, and it's not very important. You can contrast this to something that actually happened earlier in Luke chapter 1. Before, angel, or before the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he came to a priest named Zechariah. He told Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth, who were old 
and childless, would in their old age have a son. This son would be the one that we call John the Baptist. He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. The Spirit would be on him from birth. He'd come in the Spirit and in the power of Elijah. He'd come to, to turn Israel back to their God. And Gabriel gives this message to the priest Zechariah just outside of the Holy of Holies in the temple. In the Israelite imagination, you can't imagine a more glorious place and a more glorious thing. But here, rather than in this place of glory, we've got the angel Gabriel coming to a little humble town called Nazareth. But let's think again about that context. We're talking about David's house. It's been cut down all the way to the ground like a tree. Well, Nazareth, the word, either comes from the Hebrew word for branch, netzer, or at the very least, it's got the sounds in it. It's branch town Israel. And if you know your prophets or if you've been coming to the Isaiah Bible studies, you might remember this line from Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse was David's father. David's like the arch king of Israel, right? Jesse was his father. So this stump of Jesse is a reference to this, this tree of David's line that's been cut down all the way to the ground. Isaiah is saying that a tiny little shoot is going to grow out of that tree, a tree that had no business growing back, a tree that was as good as dead. And that tiny shoot is going to grow into something that is incomprehensibly big. So that's Gabriel's message to Mary in a nutshell. This new life is sprouting from nothing. A tree that's been cut all the way down to the ground is going to actually shoot up something new. And one of the other things that's threaded all the way through this chapter is that it's going to be because of the Lord's favor and because of nothing else. Remember, I, just, I brought up that line from Judges, there was no king in Israel, and so everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Well, in Israel, actually, at this time, there are big national movements actually toward faithfulness. Israel had remembered that all of these bad things had happened to them because they and their fathers had been unfaithful. So there's actually this big push towards obedience, right? Not everyone is being obedient. Not everyone is keeping the law. But there are these really significant movements towards keeping the covenant, towards being faithful. And they were doing that because they wanted to see this national redemption for Israel. They believed there would only be national redemption if there was first national repentance. The Pharisees are probably the most prominent example of a group that would have pushed for this. But they weren't the only ones. So in other words, this isn't exactly the same kind of unfettered wickedness that we would have seen in a book like Judges. But still, God is making it really clear here that it's not because of their righteousness that any of this is happening. It's not because of any of those pushes towards faithfulness. It's only because of God's grace. It's only because of his favor. The message, again, is that God is going to bring life from the most unexpected places with Elizabeth, a barren woman, with Mary. He's going to bring life from a virgin. He's going to do all of this by his grace alone. God, by his grace, and not because of anything that anyone else has done, is going to raise up a new king from a line that has fallen apart, a new shoot from a tree that's been cut down to the ground. So that's the context. Now look at the message. Imagine being Mary when you hear this message. So the archangel Gabriel comes. Mary's probably like 12. That's a pretty normal betrothal age uh, then. And imagine being Mary and being more confused by the greeting than the fact that Gabriel is there, just in the first place. 
Gabriel shows up in Daniel, Daniel chapter 8, and when Daniel, one of the, the greatest of Israel's heroes, sees Gabriel, he falls on his face because he's terrified. Mary's just confused by the greeting. The angel says, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. There's that word again, favor. And then watch how this message escalates. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. Yahweh brings salvation. He will be great. He'll be the son of the Most High. That's kingly language. And it keeps going up. He's going to receive the throne of David. He's going to rule Jacob's house forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Right? Those promises from 2 Samuel 7 of a kingly line that doesn't end. His kingdom will not end. Mary is not interested in the escalation of these promises at all. She's, sir, I would, can, can we go back to the first point? I'm going to have a son. How? I've never known a man. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is language that's very much like the language of the terrifying, thundering cloud that descends on Mount Sinai, or the presence of God that comes down like a cloud in the tabernacle. And there's going to be a sign. Mary didn't ask for a sign. She gets one anyway. A sign confirming that this life from nowhere in you is going to be life from nowhere in your relative Elizabeth. Everything in here screams, God is going to do something that's miraculous. So Mary asks, how? Right? How is this going to happen? We should ask a similar question. We should ask, why? Why a virgin birth? I think on the one hand, it is to show, again, that this is only by God's power, only by God's grace, his favor. When you see favor in here, you can kind of put those two together, favor and grace. It's not something that's been brought about by the power or the skill of Israel's leaders. It's also not something that's been brought about by any of this, these pushes for national righteousness. So that's part of it. God's going to make it really clear that he's doing this and he alone is doing this. There's an even bigger reason, I think. The reason is that this Jesus, this, this king who's coming, is going to be more than just a reiteration of King David. God's not just repeating the story. That's hinted, it's more than hinted at. It's clearly stated in Gabriel's message. He's not just going to be a new king who reestablishes David's line, dies, and passes that line on to his descendants. He himself will rule Israel forever. His kingdom will have no end. And this escalation in, in Gabriel's message, right, the, the, the steps up each time he talks, that's actually just the beginning. If you read the rest of Luke, if you read Acts, you read the rest of the New Testament, it starts to look like one of those, have you ever seen a compounding interest graph, like for, for a retirement account? Like if you put $50 a, a month in when you're a baby and you do it till you're 175, you'll have a trillion dollars. Because it starts off really slow, but then it goes up really fast. The promises get bigger and bigger. If we look through the rest of Luke, we'll see how this continues to escalate. It's not just going to be a king that, that leads Israel back to, to righteousness. He's going to be the priest and the sacrifice that cleanses and purifies God's people. He's not just going to be the greatest and another long line of earthly kings who are playing war and politics with each other. He's going to ascend to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, and he's going to make the throne of David and the throne of heaven one seat. If we look through Acts, we're going to see that his rule isn't going to be limited to just Israel's little, little boundaries and borders. It's going to extend to the nations as the nations come to him. 
And he's not just going to rule as a king over a bunch of little peasant subjects. He shares everything that he has with his people. And these are bigger things that he shares than any other king could share. Right? They're not little trinkets and baubles and little pieces of gold. This king lives a perfect life, dies a perfect death, so he can give us a perfect record. So we can know forgiveness because that's not our record. He rises from the dead so he can give us his righteousness and his own eternal life. He ascends to the throne room so he can even share his rule with us. So he can give us his sonship before the Father. So he can even share his inheritance in the heavenly places with us. And that same spirit that came on Mary, he sends so that he can join our broken and sinful humanity, our dying humanity, to his perfect and spotless and risen humanity. So that all of the hurt and the pain and the anxiety and the sorrow and the grief that come with being a dying human can be wiped away. And so we can look forward to a future when all those things are done. But he can only do those things for us. He can only be our substitute if he is a man. He can only substitute himself for our punishment. He can only substitute his righteousness for our unrighteousness. He can only substitute his risen life for our death if he is a man. But that substitution can also only be enough if he is also God. Jesus' birth to a virgin, his conception by the power of the Holy Spirit, is God's announcement to the world that that is exactly who this Redeemer is, fully God and fully man. Gabriel's message is that that king is coming, and he's bringing with him a reign of justice and peace and abundance in place of the chaos and the desolation and the wickedness that we sow. That's the remarkable message. And let's finish with Mary's remarkable response. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So every Advent, we latch on to that same hope that we, that we heard Gabriel give in his message. The king is coming. He's come once, Christmas, and he will come again to make all things new. But another thing that we do recognize in Advent is a stunning reality about that king, is that he's not just the king who came once in the past and a king who will come once in the future. He is also the king of this present. And we need that to be true. Because without that king and his reign, all of us are just like what we heard about in the book of Judges. We're people without a king, doing whatever is right in our own eyes. And we can see the effects of that anywhere that we look. You can see it in Palestine. You can see it in Washington, D.C. You can see it in Carytown. You can see it on the internet. You can see it on TV. Anywhere you look. But that's not just a cultural thing or a violence thing or a capitalistic thing or any sort of thing that's just wrong with other people. It's all of us. I mean, if you've ever read the book of Judges, it gets really nasty. But if you could hook me up to a projector and show all of the secret dark places of my heart on the screen, you would beg me to go back to Judges. Read us the story about that woman who gets cut up into 12 pieces. It's way better than your thoughts, right? And that's true for all of us. Sorry, it's true for all of you. No offense. Without this king and his rule, right, not some political king ruling out there, but a king actually reigning in our hearts, we don't just live in darkness, we actually are darkness and we spread it. We don't just live in a world of sin and death, we spread it. But the hope that we cling to in Advent flows out of this truth, even in our own darkness, that the little sprout that grew from David's cut-down tree was born to a virgin. Miraculous life 
coming where life had no business growing, so that more new life could grow where it also has no business growing, in us. So think about that. In all the places where death and darkness rule in your heart, he offers life and light, a seed that is growing into something that is full and glorious. So think about all the places of turbulence, chaos, or fear, anxiety, guilt, shame. In those places, the king of the universe offers to extend his reign. And if that is true, then forget everything else. Whatever the pleasures or the powers or ambitions or money or whatever affirmation or security you are looking for, they will never give you the sort of freedom that Mary found when she just said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Sometimes for us, that let it be of submission will take us into dark and stormy places. Read the crucifixion story. It certainly took Mary to that sort of place. But when it does, what we'll learn is that even if there's a storm, it's better to be in the boat, in the middle of the storm, but with that king than to be anywhere else without him. When he's your king, that let it be of submission is not just resignation. It's a wide open door into a kingdom of life and light and abundance. Uh, we have about eight hours till the king comes tonight at 6.30 this evening. So treat this as urgent. Look for the things in your heart today that stand between you and submission to him. Because they are the things that stand between you and freedom. Ask him to tear them down. Know that his reign is good. Does freedom from the distractions and desires of your heart, the things that actually enslave you, sound impossible? Nothing is impossible with God. He brings life from death. He transforms waste places into gardens, even when those waste places are in us. There's this passage in Isaiah 35. It's one of a lot of places where Isaiah talks like this, about God bringing life in the wilderness. He says he's going to make flowers bloom, right? It's going to be like it's almost a garden. And he's not just talking about the Negev desert, right, something that's in Israel. It, that's going to bloom. He's very explicitly talking about people. Because right after he talks about this wilderness blooming, he says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. In other words, the desert that he promises to utterly transform into a garden is you. He offers to take you from blindness to sight, from deafness to hearing, from lameness to dancing, from sad silence to joy. The Son of God a single cell in Mary's womb, given life by the overshadowing power of the Most High, is the seed who is overgrowing the desert places. That king has come, and he is coming back. His kingdom has begun, and it will not stop growing in this world, but also in you. So may this king come soon. And while we wait and look for him, may we give ourselves wholeheartedly to his reign in us and through us. Like Mary, may we know the joy and the freedom and the satisfaction that comes from submission to this very good king. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.